Hey everyone, and welcome to Jen and Sam Make a Movie. It's our podcast about everything indie film related. Today on the show, we have comedian Kay Winks. Yeah, we got a comedian finally getting into some comedy for our romantic comedy film podcast. So that's always a good thing. And as always, we've got Jen Finelli, our writer, is back from exotic lands. Thank you. Hi, everybody. It's good to see or hear. I guess I won't hear you all, but y'all can hear my my scratchy voice again. So it's good. So, Kay, I was really excited to find out about you because, first of all, you're a comedian and we like all things comedy. Um, you're a lady comedian and your tagline was really interesting. So I wanted to ask you, since we tend to talk a lot here about representation in media, um, what made you decide to identify your comedy brand as, quote, your token black friend? So I'm currently um, running a, well, it opens in a couple weeks, a solo show, a solo comedy show called Token uh, at Second City here in Chicago. And um, it's about my experiences being a token black um, <laughs> or being the, the lone black person in white, in white spaces. And um, so that's kind of, I wouldn't necessarily say that's my entire brand, but that's my brand as of the moment because that's what I'm marketing right now. Um, but just in general, I mean, if I had to brand myself, that probably would be the way I would because that's been a through line of my life being, uh, that lone black person, um, which is why I wrote the show because it's, and it's a hilarious, um, experience. There's so many hilarious experiences that happen when you are the only black person around a bunch of white people that are not woke. So I had to write a comedy show about it. Well, where did you grow up? I grew up in, I was born in Naperville, Illinois, which is a suburb like 45 minutes uh, outside of the city of uh, Chicago. And then I grew up in Bolingbrook, and then I moved to Indianapolis and went to high school right outside of Cleveland Heights at like an all-girls Catholic, uh, an all-girls Catholic school outside of Cleveland, and then eventually moved back to Chicago. But all that while, I was usually one of less than five black people and almost no other ethnic minorities at all. I'm surprised there were even five. I know, right? Those, those areas. Well, I didn't, get up to, I didn't get up to five until high school. Yeah. In elementary school, I was one. I was the only. I'm surprised there weren't more than five. Cleveland is a pretty black city. Well, I was in Cleveland Heights, and the, the particular school that I went to just wasn't extremely diverse. There was only five black girls in there. there. Mm-hmm. Wow. So... How did that, so let's hear a little bit about your comedy show. How did that end up contributing to like, a lot of people take that experience different ways, right? And you ended up taking it as something to like laugh at. Uh, What made you, I guess, decide to take that direction emotionally with your experience? So the first time I wrote it, I think I was like, I was like angry about something like somebody, somebody white said something stupid. And I was just like, I'm going to write a show about this because these people are getting on my nerves. <laughs> um, and so the first draft of the show was um, way more brutal. It took, it took more of a, it was less funny, even though I, I thought it was going to be a comedy. And so when I was having people read it, um, doing the, the edits, they were like, oh, you're kind of, you're kind of eviscerating these poor white people in the show. Like, this isn't that funny. This is kind of dark. And so I was like, okay, let me, like, simmer down <laughs> and, like, take a, take a break from the, the script. And then I actually put it down for a couple of years, and then eventually, um, you know, the political sphere changed. It just be, Things started changing just in the world, and I, I gained more experiences and came back to it. 
and then realize, like, it, this, it's, it's not funny to be angry about the racial stuff. Like, of course, it's natural to be angry about, you know, racially charged topics, but there's too much humor to be had. And so I cut out all of the, like, bitter stuff and just narrowed it down to the actual humor that, it, that there is in sort of colorblind racism. Mm. Like, so what was the biggest, besides people telling you it wasn't funny, right? Because it, it, you said it was several years. Within several years, you probably had different life experiences. Was there anything um, in your own life experiences that made you feel, okay, like this bitterness either isn't a reflection of reality or people's intentions? Or like what was happening with, within you internally that made you kind of shift away from bitterness to humor? Because a lot of people don't make that shift and sometimes you can kind of see that it's kind of justifiable and other times you can see that it's um, bitterness can sometimes hamper the message. So like, but like in your case, was it that things seemed less real? You were like, oh, that's not true. That was just me being angry. Or was it not that things were less real, but that you, did you have, what happened was like a spirit of forgiveness or like what, what happened to make that change? So, okay. So of course the bitterness, the bitterness was justified. Don't get me wrong. It, 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 it definitely justified. It was just that I think in, in the interim, I learned more about comedy and about, I, I started doing stand-up. So when I originally wrote the show, I, I wasn't doing stand-up. I hadn't actually got grown the balls to actually get up on stage and do stand-up. So from actually starting stand-up, because I was just basically, I just used to write. I just wrote, I wrote jokes for other people or I just wrote sort of humor um, articles and stuff like that. So I had never, and I went, I, I was like a stand-up groupie, so I had seen a lot of shows, but I didn't, I hadn't found my comedic voice yet. So from learning more about, from gaining the experience of actually being on stage and telling jokes and how to deal with um, audiences' reactions to things, I realized, okay, one, bitterness is just not funny. It doesn't work with audiences. If you, if you market something as a comedy and then you put a bitterness into it, it, it alienates your audience, right? So... I realized that in order to, to to relate to my audience, I would have to kind of not water down, but G-rate certain kind of jokes. So that was one thing. And then another thing was that, yeah, it was kind of a spirit of forgiveness of, you know, a lot of times when you're the, the only black person with a bunch of white people, these white people don't have a lot of, they just don't have a lot of interracial experiences and they don't mean to be for lack Stupid. of a better term, assholes, but like, <laughs> yeah, right, but like, you know, you, you always, we always assume that, oh yeah, they should know better, but why would they? If I'm the only black person around, how many times are they not around, I'm not there, and they're only around themselves, so, you know, if they're only in echo chambers, they don't ever realize what, what they're saying, so I grew a spirit of forgiveness, I got more experience on stage and learning about comedy, and... I think, yeah, those, those two things were what made me say, okay, I'm going to sit down and rewrite this and make it, and make it actually, like, really funny, but still keeping sort of the, the satirical voice because I think bitterness, there's a fine line between satire and bitter. So I'm edged more towards, you can be kind of bitter, but that turns more into satire. It's interesting you say that. I don't know if you've ever seen the show Blackish. I've watched a couple minutes. I need to do my homework, and I and I didn't like the couple minutes. You know, you know, tell me about it. It's okay. Um, yeah, I think that's a really interesting point you bring up. This idea of bitterness versus humor, um, and how it's really difficult to do them both at the same time. Uh, this is really probably going to be a very unpopular opinion with our viewers because this show is so beloved by so many Black people. But 
I think that's um, probably my main criticism with the show. It, it's a, you know, it's always trying to be very topical. And sometimes they do that at the, you know, at the risk of, 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 of their humor. You know, a show is less funny because it's, it's very heavy at times. And they talk about themes that are very important, but they do that at expense of a laugh. Right, exactly. Do you think sometimes the theme is more important than the laugh, though? I do, but, you know, I feel like people need to be aware of genre, you know? Um, It it depends on what what your goal is. Yeah. Well, so, like, George Carlin, I'm sure you're both familiar with him. He's, like, probably the bitterest old man who ever lived, right? Um, And he's pretty funny. (laughs) So is... Does... Would you guys say, then, that... um, I'd love to hear both of your opinions on this. Would you guys say then that he managed to find the line between bitterness and satire or just that he was so extreme that his bitterness became hilarious? I would say that that was his shtick. Like, that was who he was. Um, it's hard. That he was, was a that bitter was old man. <laughs> yeah. Like, that he, was, he was a bitter old man. So, like, that's what he did. So he could get away with it because he embodied a bitter old man. So I feel like if you are, if your if your archetype is the bitter is is that, then you sell it a hundred percent. But if you're, that's not really, that's not actually, I'm not actually like a bitter person, so <laughs> it's not as it's not as cute for me. So yeah, I can't get away with it. And you know what? I think it's more about like themes, right? So I guess the modern equivalent would be someone like Louis Black, who's like yelling half the time he's on stage. And I think it's um. But Louis Black gets angry at things like soup and Carlin got angry at, you know, things like words and, you know, things, little things people would say to him. Right. No, he was, so things, it's the difference he was between, super angry about God and Republicans and all those things, too. That, too. But I think there was a mix between like the triviality and like the, the weightiness. Right. So, it, yeah, if, if it's going to be your whole thing, you can't just be upset about, you know, um, politics and these big, big items. He was also, you know, they were down to the granular. They were like angry to the core. And I think that, again, it was part of their shtick. I was just going to say, it was also like, like you said, um, the trivialities of like everyday life, just the absurdity of everyday life that anyone can relate to, where when people are very bitter about, especially like racial topics, it really alienates, it alienates a lot of people. And so, you know, it's, it's, race is a whole different discussion that is, it's, it, again, there's that fine line between bitter and, and humor. Do you think blackish, um, when it crosses the line, I guess, for you, Samantha, do you feel that it takes away from its theme or is it that only it takes away from its humor? Or I guess, in other words, does it destroy the messaging um, for it to be super heavy or is, do you just dislike that it destroys the comedy? I, I just like it destroys the comedy, right? So, I mean, there are a few episodes of Blackish where, like, it's just not like whole episodes where maybe one there was one laugh, and not just because I'm picky about comedy, but because the whole episode was really heavy. And if you're a comedy, that shouldn't be the case. If it wasn't branded as a comedy, would you like it? Um, I, I like it. I like some episodes more than others, but I mean, that's just my criticism of it. And it's one that I'm, I feel that a lot of people are either afraid to make or they just haven't been making it. 
I agree. The few minutes that I watched were, I agree, I agree 100%. The few minutes, that's why I didn't watch, I didn't like the few minutes I watched, and I never ended up watching it. It was just like, oh, this isn't funny. You guys are just, like, beating me over the head with this. You're like, I already know this. I live this. I don't need right. to be preached right. at. <laughs> yeah, it's the preaching. People don't like being preached at. Yeah, exactly. I think for some people, that's the entire reason they want the show, though. I don't think, I think some people don't watch it for comedy. I think some people watch it because they like knowing that some producer out there agrees with them and understands like the suffering they're going through absolutely absolutely yeah yeah of course it, ha- it definitely has an audience for sure okay when you um but so you're like your brand of comedy is a little bit different then <laughs> it's funnier is what is basically the conclusion that we're all coming to um so <laughs> when you <laughs> we, that can be your new tagline i'm funnier than blackish um, no, when you, so when you first decided to like get up on stage as a comedian, um, instead of, instead of like writing, what was that experience like? Tell, tell us a little bit about that. Um, it was the most absolutely terrifying thing that I ever did. Um, it was really a hump to get over because the first time, first of all, I get, I get stage fright regardless, even though I've, I've been a professional actor for like 13 years. Um, so I, you know, I'm, I'm used to being on stage, but there's something about getting on that stage the first time because I mean, doing stand up is the definition of vulnerability. Like you are up there by yourself, standing there trying to make people laugh. And <laughs> I mean, you're naked, you know, they're, you're just totally opening yourself up to be, brutalized so it was terrifying but after like once I got off the stage it was the most exhilarating feeling ever and I was hooked I was like okay this is totally this is where it's at um so once I made that leap it was I mean it was still terrifying every time but you learn so much about like humans I feel like from doing comedy just what people find funny or based on what's going on in the world, what certain, what jokes they laugh at or where you are and how, what they feel safe to laugh at. Or it's, it's, it's fascinating. And the different um, uh, ethnic groups will laugh at different jokes. Ooh. Different. It's, it's just really interesting. You learn so much about the human condition. Yeah. So what ethnic groups laugh at what jokes? Let, let us in on this. So I feel like, I feel like black audiences are way more open to laughing at sort of crap, not crap, that's not the word, more um, uh, un-PC stuff. They like the un-PC, they, they're okay with the un-PC stuff, where I feel like white, white audiences are a little more like, oh, am I allowed to laugh? <laughs> Is that okay? Are you allowed yeah. to do that? Um, that sounds really I mean, true. I, and unfortunately, I really only... I, I mean, it really is. And, and so uh, you, I, sometimes you have to make a joke, like, you guys can laugh at that. It's okay. Nobody, the PC police aren't in here. Nobody's going to get arrested by the PC police. You guys can laugh. But, you know, they always feel, the funny thing is they always feel, well, as long as you're making fun of a particular group of people that they're, I don't know, quote, unquote, allowed to laugh at, then suddenly, like, they are going to laugh very freely at those people. Michael Jr. does a whole comedy piece on that. Yeah, it does, where he says, like, it's okay. He, like, where every time he does white audiences, it's, like, totally silent. And he has to, like, guys, it's okay. You're allowed to laugh. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, 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 and they do not like being made fun of either. They're very, they're very sad. Ooh, really? Because I, I make fun of, I do definitely make fun of white people quite a bit. Um, and... 
they're, they're sensitive. They are sensitive. So those jo- the jokes on white people, they've got to they've got to be funny. Yeah. <laughs> or it's going to be about the white people that white people laugh at. You know. What kind of white people do white people laugh well, at? That's kind of funny. You mean like? They laugh at like. Yeah, they laugh at, like, rednecks, you know? It's okay to laugh at a redneck. Ha-ha, rednecks, you know, but you can't laugh at, like, you know, the average, you know, everyday liberal white girl, you know. Nah, white girls are kind of, nah, you can, you can laugh at a yeah. white girl. As long as you segment them. Like, liberal white people in general that think they're yeah. good people. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> when you segment people, they can feel like, oh, I'm not part of that group. It's okay. <laughs> exactly. Oh, right. that's funny. What, um... So what are some of the experiences that drew you I, w- I kind of want to see if we can hear some of the angry script versus not angry script experiences. So like what are it, what was an ex- what's an experience for example that triggered you to originally write an angry thing? What was the original angry joke and then what was the later toned down or changed joke? Oh, yikes. Okay, so let me give you a little bit of the structure kind of of the show a little bit. So the first half of the show is I kind of pick on, I kind of talk about my experiences, how I became a token black. So I talk in the first half I talk about being, being sort of the white black girl around black people and how that has influenced, you know, my view of the world. And then, and that's the first half of the show. So I kind of pick on black people the first half of the show. And then the second half, I pick on white people, and I and I structured it that way because I knew that if I started if I started off the show by making fun of white people, I know that my audiences are pr- pr- going to be primarily white. So you can't start off picking on them. You have to get them laughing at someone else so they can feel comfortable. And then when you it's their turn to be picked on, they're a little bit looser because it's gonna they're gonna get uncomfortable, right? So the second when I go into when I, I, I you, you, gotta, you gotta think about these things, you know. So the way I started off in the original script, making fun of white people, I made, there was a joke in there, and I think, I, I mean, it was one of the first sentences I, I made. Some, I have to remember, because it was totally off the top of my head, because I wrote this a while ago. It was something like, it was brutal. Um, you know, from having white girls, white girls is really good to my nerves. You know, after having white girlfriends my whole life, um, I really understand why they get murdered, why so many of them get kidnapped and murdered every year because I've often wanted to strangle the life Whoa. out of my girlfriends or something like that. It was, some, it was something like that. And like my friend read it and she's like, um, you can't keep that in there. So she was white, <laughs> I'm assuming. It's not funny. <laughs> yeah, she was definitely white. She was like, that's not funny at all. That's like really, and I said something about like, I want to watch the blue seep out of their eyes. She's like, that's really dark. <laughs> I'm like, and so I read it again. I was like, okay, maybe you're right. The blue sleeping out of her eyes. That, that's probably that. I need to rewrite that. So what did it get rewritten to? <sighs> so I, I took that out. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't rewrite it to anything. You just took it all the way out. I just took that all the way out. Yeah, yeah. So I don't do, I don't make, I don't say anything like that. I don't, now I don't, I, so now in the show, there's no personal attacks like that. And then it doesn't go that, anywhere near that dark. Well, now I really want to know what was the event that triggered writing that because that's very angry <laughs> what what happened well it, it, it was it's a lifetime of build yeah. up right so it's a lifetime of little microaggressions you know of, of you know at this point 25 years of microaggressions from my white friends that you know you get at some point you get so angry and then you know and then there's a whole sketch about you know being an angry black woman like 
well, we're, we're angry for a reason. We, we're not just angry, like, we're not just born <laughs> angry. You know, there's a reason why we get angry. Well, also, um, it's like, white women tend to be kind of repressed. So, so it's not even that, like, black women are angry. It's just that white women are afraid to show their anger. I don't know if that's, I don't know if people are going to be mad at me, but I exactly. think that. Exactly. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Oh, yeah, so you were saying. And it's a different, I also think it's a different kind of anger. It's a different, because, yeah, because. Passive aggressive. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. And it's because they're afraid to be honest. It's not, um, yeah, so it, <laughs> it's not that black women are angry. Uh, so how, so, but, so. No, I'm kind of angry. I mean, sometimes I'm, I'm, I get angry. I'm angry. <laughs> well, tell us about a lot of, like, give us your quote unquote dear white people. Like some of the some of these things that were like bothering you that like constantly happened over and over again, um, give us like some su- examples of some of the so basically some of these microaggressions that were kind of piling up on you. Um, I just I hate when um you know I'll, I'll be sitting with a wife with a, one of my white girlfriends and she'll be like um I, I don't know I'll see a cute black guy or something oh he's really cute. And my girlfriend will be like, oh, is, really? You think so? Yeah, he's, he's cute. He's, like, objectively cute. Yeah, I don't really find black guys Ooh, attractive. Yes. I'm not really into black yes. guys. That's... Who asked you? <laughs> yeah. But it's like, how, how, how... You feel very free to, like, make fun of my people, like, with me. You have this confused. So that's, that's annoying. Well, <sighs> also, that's, like, that that's like a straight-up... And, and that's kind of why we did this romantic comedy, um, is because we're kind of fed up with those kind of images in popular culture. One of the reasons people think that it's okay to say, oh, I'm not into X race is because on TV, they only see X or Y race romantically. So like they think that's how it is. It's normal to for only, it's normal to only be attracted to one race. That's not normal. That's like this weird thing that has people been conditioned to. So it like, it still stuns me that, and it's actually something you see a lot in the Asian American community. Um, I've had a lot of Asian American buddies who will say, oh, yeah, I'm just not into black girls. And I'm like, that's you. That's gross. You can't say that. So, yeah. Yeah. It's what What other give us some right. more of these, because I think a lot of people need to hear what actually is going on <laughs> inside somebody's head when they say these things. Give us some more. Right. Um. Uh, when they say like. Oh, you're not really black, hey? Like, you're not black. You're not. I mean, your skin is black, but like, you're not. You're like the whitest black person ever. And that you're an Oreo because it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if I'm not black, then what am I? Oh, you, well, you're like a white black girl. No, I'm I'm black. I just just because I speak a certain way, or you know, basically that's what they're basing it on. Just because I speak a certain way and like certain things does not does not negate my entire like view of the world through my black girl eyes. Um, it, 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 it sort of denies, a, it denies a fundamental part of my existence, of my humanity. Um, and I don't think they connect that when they, when you say, when you tell a black person or anybody that you don't see them as they very clearly are, it's extremely. Well, and don't you think that that tends to be directed um, more towards educated black women or like educated black guys too, but it like tends to be directed always. more towards educated people. And it's kind of like a slur on black people who are educated in general the whole race it's a slur on the whole race like you sound a little bit smart and it's a slur on black english too 
blackness isn't smart. Blackness is dumb and uneducated and poor. Like, you know, that's basically what they're saying as well. Because blackness means the opposite of what I supposedly am. And that, and that's a whole new level of insult. Yeah, absolutely. Do you... Because it's basically saying you're one of, oh, you're one of the good, you're one of the good ones. Have you ever gotten that from black people? The, um, you're not black enough. Oh, of course. Oh, of course, of course, of course. I think black people are almost, black people are almost a little bit more brutal about it. <laughs> black people are more honest about, about this kind of stuff. So black people would just call you out. Right. Black people don't do microaggressions. They just do aggressions. <laughs> exactly (laughs) exactly so yeah i've gotten them i've gotten them a whole life from black people absolutely so i I feel like i've never actually fit in in either in either dichotomy like when i'm with my white friends i'm an outsider when i'm with my black friends i'm kind of an outsider and which does that hurt more from or does it hurt equally from both um Luckily, luckily, I think I've come to an age. It, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt anymore. When I was younger and you know, still fi- kind of finding myself, it hurt. And I think it, it always hurt more from black people. But now I've come to a place where I'm like, I don't need validation from anyone. So I know, I know how I, I am. I know I'm black. I don't need anyone to tell me that I'm black. You know. So it used to hurt more from black people, but I'm so over that now. Amen. Good job. Um, how? Uh, what are? Give us some more. Because these are really good, uh, and it's kind of a thing that it's really important for us to talk about these kind of things. So more of these. Let's think. Okay, off the top of my head, what else do I talk about? Um. Well, and, and Sam, I'm sure that you have some of these too, actually, which I've never asked you about. Um, which is I don't know why I've not asked you about them. Um, but because you also grew up. Well, no, you didn't, because you grew up in Virginia. Um, but then you went to UVA, which is like super preppy. Yeah, whitish school. There are a good amount of black people at UVA. Not that I, I was see, I, I was never really into the the black stuff, quote unquote. I still get emails from the Black Student Alliance. I still stay in the know with that, but um, yeah, I was never really into all that stuff. I mean, blackness has always like been something I've, I'm conscious of, like. Oh, Usually after the fact, like I'll look around and be like, oh, I'm the only black person here. Like um, the piccolo section when I was in the UVA marching band, I was the only black person there. And in the four years I was there, they never got another black person. And that was like a 40, 30 person, 30 people and like no black people, which was crazy. Um, And as far as like the whole black people being super aggressive and, you know, just telling you what you th- they think. Um, I remember being pretty young and having a huge crush on Jet Li. <laughs> oh <laughs> my goodness. I saw the movie Romeo Must Die. <laughs> so, yeah. Is that why um, you, you were so cool with this film? <laughs> I, I think this film is important, but I mean, I, when I was young, I did have a crush. You know, I saw Romeo Must Die and I just remember um, sitting with uh, some family members and just my 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 god sister being like, oh, all, all Asian people look alike. I was like, I don't think they all look alike, you know. <laughs> oh gosh, that whole thing. Yeah, there's that. Of course, yeah. there's the hair stuff. You know, that is a common thread as well. Like they're just 
fascinated by hair, you know. Can you, can not can you wash, but like, do you wash your hair? Well, clearly I wash my hair. <laughs> it doesn't have flies oh, coming gosh. out of it. So clearly really wanting to touch it. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> clearly I washed it. It doesn't smell weird or anything. Touching it without asking. So I'm going to ask a super ignorant question that I've been thinking about for several months now. Actually, it's not a super ignorant question because I've been reading about it and I haven't been able to find an answer. Um, when is how do you find the line between like because sometimes a black girl's hair is just gorgeous and you got to comment on it because it's gorgeous and there's some girls who just have gorgeous hair all the time um and so like every time you see them you want to say oh my gosh your hair is gorgeous but um it's annoying you know like you're saying there's like this is kind of a universal black woman experience that white people are always bothering them about their hair um what is a good way to compliment a black girl's hair and just kind of show that like honest appreciation of how awesome it is um, without weird. Just don't touch it. Just don't touch it. That's a good one. Okay. I think it's really important, um, especially, you know, you know, people are passing, you know, working to pass laws to say that, you know, natural hair can't be, you know, isn't, can't, you know, you can be fired for having natural hair when, you know, we know like the chemicals that they, they put in our hair cause all sorts of problems uh, linked to cancer, early onset puberty in young girls, all sorts of terrible stuff. So I think the more people like like recognize it for what it is, beautiful and, uh, you know, from God, the way, you know, our hair was intended to be, the better. Um, I think that's something we really need white allies to, to push because it's, you know, it's white people who are trying to say that natural hair is unprofessional. So we need white people to say that it's beautiful. So... And you're saying that to do that, just say it. Don't touch. Any other things besides don't touch? What are other super no-nos? Things to definitely not say. Is there a too frequent compliment? Because, like, some people, like, like, you can't see Sam right now, okay? But Sam's hair is always cool and always different. And I love it all the time. But I don't know if it's weird if I tell you every single time <laughs> I see you, your hair is awesome. And it's awesome because it actually is awesome. Um, when is too much? Um, I think sometimes, you know, there's, there's the confusion of like, oh, her hair is completely it's straight today. And then, but it was an Afro yesterday and oh, there's now there's braids. Uh, what's happening with her hair? It's a shape. Is that weave? Like, right. Is it weave? Is, did she cut it? I think what, what the main things that annoy me is not understanding that, like not understanding shrinkage, which is when our hair is in its natural state and it's curled up. If we flat iron it, it gets longer. It, I didn't cut my hair because I'm wearing my fro today. I didn't cut it. It's just the curls shrunk. <laughs> yes. So I think a lot of times girls should just say, oh, your hair looks really nice today instead of saying, oh, you cut your hair. Don't assume I cut it. Just say it looks nice if you like it. Oh, that's a good one. Any more, Sam? Yeah. No one understand, understands shrinkage. Um, that, you know, you're, or, you know, the idea of, you know, putting a flat iron to your hair and versus, you know, when it's, when it's wet, it's going to be a, a very shrunk. So that's another thing. It doesn't really bother me when people are asking questions. Yeah. The touching thing is, is the biggest for me. It's not a petting zoo. Yeah. That makes sense. Right. Um, so here's a really controversial question for you about hair. Um, what, what would you do? The ABC show recently posted a what would you do about um, a white barber in Harlem's like biggest, most important male barber shop. Right. Um, which is predominantly a black barbershop, obviously. 
And they did oh, a scenario where um, a black guy comes in and he says, I'm not going to let a white guy cut his hair. Most of my friends wouldn't let a white guy cut their hair. And I understand it because it's like they got, a white guy's going to mess up. He doesn't know about your hair. But the what would you rather or what would you do um, kind of framed it as like a racism thing. Like if he has the hours, like you should trust him kind of thing. Uh, what do you think? Would you let a white person touch your hair? Like cut it. A white hairstylist. I've, you know what? Here's the thing, and this is gonna shock a lot of white people. I went back when I got my hair relaxed. I let white people do it. I let Asian people do it. And that's that's like a big thing, cause right, cause if you're if you get a relaxer and it's wrong, you could lose all your hair, right? You can go bald. Yeah. Um. Uh. So yeah. So to me, it's about like. I guess for cosmetology, it's, it's a bit different because, you know, you have that state training, you know, like you really have, you know, you have to know what you're doing or else you're not going to be in that role. And I always went to, you know, places that were on the up and up and required all their stylists to have that. Um, so for you, it's about credentials. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, it's, it's really for me, it was about like need, you know, I, I, I that was back when I was at UVA and, <laughs> yes. you know, I had to take a I had to take a bus to the mall to get my hair done and like. That's where the bus went. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I totally understand like that sort of apprehension. Um, yeah, I mean, I've my husband is mixed and he has curly hair. Um, but so yeah, he's he's gotten a few bad haircuts and I, I don't know. How about you, Kay? Would you let a? I'm gonna be the t- I'm gonna be the controversial one, and absolutely not. Nope, I'm over it. Been there, done that. I'm driving away. No, I've I I when I was younger, and I when when I was getting relaxers, when I was still relaxing my hair, I was more okay with letting white stylists do my hair. So I've definitely I've used to go to the the, the frou frou white salons, and they did it okay. I mean, a couple times they burned they left a lot rela- relaxer in a little longer, and they burned my scalp. But I mean, it happened a couple times, but for the most part, it was fine. But that's and now it's like no, it's one of the few. It's I know it's bad. Um, it's just now for me, it's like no, my hair is natural now, and I and I just don't trust that um, any average you know white salon that I go to. I really don't think that they have the experience with natural black hair that I would that I would need. I mean, even I mean, I know you're right. Black salons, you know, with black salons, I'm picky with my natural hair, so. I'm not gonna. I'm just not gonna do it. And it's one of the few places that I can go to where I'm not the token. I don't. You know, it's one of the few places I can go to and be surrounded by black women and black people. So you know I, and I and I and I like I need that. You're right. Now that I'm natural, I I am a lot more picky, which is interesting because the stakes are so much lower, right? Because <laughs> um, you're not getting any chemicals put in. But yeah, um, I know. I know an Asian woman is not going to know what high versus low porosity means. And she's not going to know if I need a protein treatment or I need like a special type of moisturizer. She's just not going to know. Um, so yeah, I'm much more picky now. So if it were that scenario where it's like the best black barbershop in Harlem and they only had one white stylist, would you then go to that white stylist, Kay? If they like had, they had fit all the credentials and everything. Yes, absolutely. Like the the salon that I go to in Chicago, it's it's it. They only do natural hair. If they had white stylists there, absolutely, I would have a white stylist do do my hair. It's it's not it's not racial. It's basically the, their credentials. If you don't know how, if you don't know how to do natural hair, you're not touching my hair. Well, because I get the idea that most white stylists don't. 
I mean, I can't believe you went back to st- to White Stylus after somebody burned your scalp, but, or that you kept t- doing well, your hair that way not, after. It's not, right it's not uncommon. That's horrible. It's bad. That's terrible. Yeah. That's really horrible too. That like that's a normal thing that people think, like that people think unnatural hair is the way that it should be. Yeah, that's wow. That's crazy. Um, all right. So, do you joke about hair in your in your stand up? at all uh yeah yes i definitely have um i've definitely because i've dated um i've dated guys white guys that have been varying degrees of of dis- have had varying degrees of discomfort with with natural hair discomfort why would they so, be discomfort why would what i need to hear about this oh it's it's all this thick nappy hair well none of them have said nappy but i mean they 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 were being PC. They they wanted to say nappy. It's it's so uh, uh, big. Um, but they you know I knew that's a thing. But yeah, no, they want your hair to be silky, silky and, and beautiful and long and cascading down your back like you know Becky's. But you know, so I'm not Becky. Have you seen good hair, Jen? I have not. But has someone actually said that to you? Like that your hair needed? They wanted your hair to be. I want to hear more about these things that they oh, said. Yeah. Wow. Oh yeah, so I was I was dating a guy who I was meeting his parents for the first time. He, from Virginia actually, and um he and I was and I was I have a, I have an enormous fro. So, it's not just like, oh, it's cute little, no, it's huge. And he's like, "Oh, I um you're not going to blow it out. You're not going to like blow it out." And I'm like, "No, I'm just what's wrong with my hair?" And he's just like, "Well, my parents, you know, I'm like, your parents what?" You know, my parents, they're just like not really used to like all of that all of it like all your hair and i'm like wait is my big black hair gonna scare them my my giant black fro is gonna scare them away and he's like uh kind of yeah they're not used to they're not used to that it's like it's very black it's like making a statement and they you know i don't want them to think that you're like militant or something absolutely so oh man so i have a i have a background in linguistics uh and i there's someone who wrote a paper about you know um yeah basically having natural hair is like inherently political basically right right exactly only in the u.s it's it has to be two white two white two white people yeah i mean that's only well, to a lot of black people too i want to hear more about this explain this this to a lot of black people too <laughs> thing right because you're right and you're, you're absolutely right yeah go ahead so to in order to like decide to go natural, most that's a that's a choice that most people make for themselves, right? It's because we've had decades of you know mothers, you know, just taking their kids and saying, "Hey, put relaxer in my kid's hair," um, and women, you know, in in adulthood are saying now, "No, this isn't the way it was meant to be." Um, I'm worried about the health, you know, health concerns, you know, and also, um, I you know, I want I want something different. Um, because it's so much work and because it's such a big commitment to go natural, sometimes it, you know, involves, you know, cutting off all your hair and sometimes it involves, you know, looking a little crazy for a few months, um, because of that, like extra work, it is, you know, the impetus is seen as inherently political. That idea that, you know, I'm supposed to have natural hair. I'm not supposed to have hair like, like Becky and, I don't want to, you know, sacrifice my health to do it. Yeah. It's also seen as a rejection of white beauty standards. Like, you know, it's like, 
to them, everybody should have, why doesn't everyone have straight hair? You should, everyone's supposed to be fitting in, you know, so if you walk in with a completely different look, then, oh, she must be angry or militant or, you know, a Black Panther or something. You <laughs> well, know? I think a part of the, a lot of that is um, just not knowing about, just not knowing that it takes chemicals and other things like that to make hair look that way because the military for just changed its standards to be a little more relaxed for black women um military standards were were really bad i mean you really you weren't you were even had allowed to have braids so it's like you had you really don't have any choices um you either had to basically cut it all off and keep it really 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 short um or you had to make it white basically um, and I think a lot of it was because these right, guys who right. run the military don't know. They they just don't know what what goes into it and don't know, no, that's just not how black people hair grows. Um, so I think it's really great, like, to educate people on that. But following that up, Sam, um, are you going to make Stacey go natural for, for our movie? Because it actually is kind of a, it, like you said, it is kind of a political thing. Um, and we do want to support, like, black women beauty standards. Right. Stacy is natural, just so you know. Um, she's just flat irons a lot. Oh, okay. I'm not to put her business out there. But the thing is, you can't, that's that's like not a f- choice you can really foist onto someone because it's a big commitment, right? Like yeah. I said, a lot of times it involves chopping your hair off, right? Well, directors for films do that all the time. Like Will Smith was forced to like starve for that one movie. Um, he almost died, actually, and no one even remembers the name of that movie. It's, like, one of his least ever watched movies ever. Um, so, directors do stuff like that. I mean, pay people enough money, they're willing to do a whole lot. I mean, if, if you're going to pay me enough money, I'll, I'll shave my head, but, you know, I have to That's be the true. It has to be about payment. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's interesting. Um, so you, Sam, I didn't mean to cut you off. You just, um, mentioned Good Hair. It's a movie, right? Yes, it's a Chris Rock movie. Sorry, I got distracted. Either my cat's, like, running around or there's, like, a stalker in my apartment. We'll, we'll see. Maybe I'll die. (laughs) Oh, no. Okay. (laughs) It's okay. My cat's kind of crazy. He he walks around like a, a grown man, but, um, uh... Okay, Good Hair. Yes, Good Hair is a movie by Chris Rock. It's an awesome film. Uh, yeah, it's about, like, the black hair experience. He made it because, you know, his his daughter, you know, his little girl asked him one day something like, you know, why don't I have good hair or whatever? Aww. And he started to look into, yeah, he started to look into all these, you know, beauty standards and, you know, what is good hair and, and black women practices and, you know, the business of hair. Um, the amount of money, the insane amount of money that black people spend on their hair. Yeah. Um, I, when I was getting it relaxed, it was something like I was, I did the math. It was like something $600 a year I was spending on my oh hair my and I wasn't, you know, I was not getting it done a whole very often, you know? Um, yeah. Is it a documentary or is it a comedy? Cause he's a comedian. It's a comedic documentary. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> Great. Definitely a, a must see. We should put a link to it, um, or to buying it, or to where people could find it in our description below. Um, we should wrap this up with a few more tips from you um, for rising comedians. But before we do that, I wanted to ask um, any. I, I just if you had any kind of closing statements about as a comedian, how you can transfer 
discussion about important topics that mattered to you and important feelings, you know, feelings that were like hurt feelings or feelings that were like feelings of being like an outcast, those kind of feelings. Um, how basically you have this experience that you've told us about transferring these negative feelings into something which is essentially a positive feeling in, in comedy. Um, any advice on how comedians can do that, um, especially comedians who come from like marginalized groups, tips on how they can use um, comedy or how they can better create the comedy using those experiences? Excellent question. Um, I think it's always important to remember the humanity of whatever the opposition that you, that you faced. So your opponent, if you will. So if you're angry at white people, then you have to also try to see it from their point of view as well and step into their shoes. And if you can embody their character as well, I feel like it'll be funnier than seeing them as an opponent because they're not really an opponent. Comedy isn't, you shouldn't have opponents. Every, we're all friends here. We're all laughing together. You know, the comedy, in my view at least, comedy is supposed to be bringing, it brings people together. Um, it's a social equalizer because when we're all, we, we all laugh and we all can laugh together. So it's really important, I think, to massage some of that hurt by humanizing whoever you've been hurt by. And then you'll find the funny. I think that's wonderful. I don't think that's a common philosophy because I think a lot of comedians do like to make fun of or, or be a little hurtful. So I, I think that's a really unique philosophy that you have. Um, and I definitely commend you for it. Any tips, other tips for people on just being funny? Because some people are like, I really like comedy. Um, how do I become funny? Whew, how do you become funny? Uh, truthfully, okay, I'm just going gonna, gonna <laughs> to put it out there. I, I think that you're funny to a certain extent. This is not like hardcore set in stone. To a certain extent, you're either funny or you're not. However, you can, if you have any ounce of humor, I feel like you have to, you, a few things. You have to actually go out and see shows, see other comedians. You have to be around comedians, see comedians, go to stand-up shows, watch Netflix, watch the greats on Netflix or whatever. You have to see a lot of comedy to know what you think what you think is funny and and to try to figure out why you think it's funny why is it funny you have to study comedy pick up your rhythm that way. um then i think exactly exactly because it is comedy being on stage is, is also all about confidence and um you know some people aren't i've seen comics that like their jokes aren't that funny but just their stage presence because they're so confident in themselves is it makes everything so much funnier. Whereas I've seen guys that have, or girl, guys and girls that have um, better jokes, but like they have no confidence and they're just sort of mumbling up there and, and they have a horrible mm. set. So confidence, seeing shows, reading a lot. The more you read, the more educated you are, the, the wider frame of reference you have for your jokes. I can really, I can always tell the difference between like a well-read comic and one that's kind of like, oh, fart jokes, waka waka, like not funny. Um, a lot of 12 year old boys would beg yeah. to degree, it, disagree it, with you <laughs> sure, I know I'm sure <laughs> so you, you talked about with yeah. all that that you just said you, you um, kind of talked about like finding your voice while you're studying these other voices um, and then you talked about like how if somebody you kind of just are funny or you're not so like it's almost like you're saying people have to find their inner their inner funny and bring it out um, are there any, like, specific exercises that you did either to overcome stage fright or just to find your own funny, like, techniques? I don't know, funny breathing things that you do or any anything like that that, like, helps you? 
Um, I use, I guess I'll have to call it like the arrogant technique, which is before I go on stage, I have to tell, I have to like really psych myself up and be like, like I literally say out loud to myself, like I'm, I'm the shit. I'm about to kill it. <laughs> like I'm, I'm the shit. I'm, I'm going to slay yeah. them. And I have to like say that to myself. <laughs> and, and so that's sort of the thing that when I go on stage, I have to be thinking that because otherwise if you really allow your brain to like wander, it'll start being like, but what if I mess up that joke and that, oh no, but that, if, if I miss that punchline, then the whole set's going to be destroyed. And although that guy, that guy sitting, that really hot guy sitting in the front, you know, your brain <laughs> is going to go a mile, a mile a minute. So I'll just be like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm about to slay. And they all love me. Everyone in this room loves me. And it's going to be great. And then you walk out there. So yeah, I pump my, you know, I have to, pump, I got to use the arrogant technique. I got to pump myself up. Um, finding the funny. How do I, how do I find my funny? I find, I think, I find other people's funny. I feel like when I see other funny people, they inspire me to think about, okay, they just told the joke about, I don't know, I don't want to use Trump because everybody's talking cats. about Trump right now, but um, they just, they just told a cat, yes, cats. They just told a cat joke. Why did I keep think that cat joke was funny? Well, that cat joke was funny because X, Y, Z. Oh, and then that, and that, usually when I go, when I go into why something is funny, that'll bring up something in my mind, and then I'll think of like, oh, well, that's like the time when my cat did X, Y, Z, and then you sort of, I get inspired by other people. Well, because you're analyzing it too. You're not just consuming. You're like thinking. You're clearly thinking about it. Like, like what your what you just described was incredibly analytical. That's that's really neat. Oh, yeah, I don't watch comedy just for fun anymore. I, I, it's completely about yeah. analyzing. Does that make it tiring to watch comedy sometimes? No, I love it. I, but I, I love that. I love analyzing it. That's that's good. Because that's, I found that it makes me hate reading if I have to analyze everything I read now. <laughs> it's hard to turn that turn that off. Um, so Turn it off, yeah. How do true. you – so any tips specifically for um, – well, let's let's just say specifically for black women – Right. Any specific challenges you've had um, as a black woman in comedy? We talked about it briefly in email. Anytime that people have said, oh, or either assumed you're going to be funnier or assumed other things about you because you're a black woman comedian. Um, And any tips for other black women looking to get into comedy? My main tip for black women trying to get into comedy is please get into comedy. (laughs) Do it. Come join me because my biggest challenge is that I'm alone. Um, I'm very frequently the only, either the only black person or the only girl or both. So I just want all the black girl magic on stage. I just, I really want black girls, like if you want to, to get into comedy, like just do it. You will find your place. You will find your audience. People are out there and they want you. That's one. Just do it. Um, experiences that I've had as a, as a black female comedian is that, a, I'm alone. B, people assume, people already assume that female comics yeah. are funny. There's this thing, it, it is a man, comedy mm-hmm. is a man's world, and men don't think mm-hmm. women are funny. And the truth is, now I've been in circles, I've seen a whole lot of comedy. A lot of times, unfortunately, a lot of times women aren't funny. Not because women aren't funny, but because women have a, have a um, or a lot of women comics have a habit of, because all the guys talk about certain things, they want to talk about the same thing. Instead of having their own voice, they assume male voices. Yeah. And that's, it's not authentic. 
um, you know, it's like I don't I don't love hearing like dick jokes from girls. It just doesn't seem authentic unless you really unless you really do embody it. Where I see a lot of girls that are like like we were talking about George Carlin, right? If everybody who loved if every comic who loved George Carlin tried to do a George Carlin skit, it just doesn't work. You have to find yeah. your own voice. Um, so I would tell females to find the humor, find your own voice. Um, you know, you, we don't only have to joke about, we don't only have to joke about what the stuff that guys joke about or, you know, men and periods, you know, it's just like, if I hear another period joke. I'm yeah. Like, isn't it like all female um, comics talk and, about periods? It's almost like the extreme of the other end. Like, <laughs> oh, I'm a girl. So I have to talk about being right. a girl, not I, I'm a human being. So let's talk about human experience. It's almost like self stereotyping. Exactly. Yeah. Not everyone can do the Amy Schumer thing. And not everyone, exactly, not everybody can do the Amy Schumer thing. Um, there's only Amy Schumer um, and Sarah Silverman. And I don't want more and then Amy with, Schumers. And then the same thing. And I don't, I don't, I, I don't either. <laughs> and, I, and I don't want the black version. And then, and then of course, there's a stereotype of black comedians um, is that we always talk about being black, which it's true. So it is true that black comedians, their first joke is usually like, you know, my black, blah, 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 you know, being black. It's true. However, I feel like there's the race topic is still so. So many things can be said about race. Well, still. also usually you you're know, advancing people, it. White people like to act like, like almost I, almost every black comedian who talks about being black educates in some way, right? Whereas women who talk about periods are not usually exactly. educating. I I have yet to hear a female comedian get up and educate about women's rights in a way that actually teaches and that that's like oh, wow, that's funny and that's true. I should go be feminist now. Whereas a lot of black comedians, it's like, oh, that's funny right. and it's true. That's sad that that's his experience. I'm going to stop being racist now. I feel like it's a common, I don't know if it's a common experience, but I feel like it, it should be a common experience. I don't know. Do you do you see that difference that there's like talking about an issue versus just trying to shock with the, the femaleness? Oh, for sure. I feel like, yeah, comedy should have some semblance of a purpose, not just to shock and offend or, you know, offend your audience um, or offend whoever. Um, yeah, there definitely is a difference between just saying, like, oh, women, blah, 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 instead of, like, say, you know, making an actual statement to help, you know, your audience grow. Conscious comedy. I'm all yeah. about it. How, um, and that kind of goes back to what you're saying about reading. Like, reading helps you to become more conscious. So. And that will improve your your comedy exactly. in general. Um, any other? So you mentioned the people assuming that you're going to be not funny because you're a woman. Um, what kind of assumptions do people make about you um, because you're black? What What should black female comedians be oh, yeah, prepared that I'm gonna, for? That you should be prepared, yeah, for people to assume, oh, she's a black girl. She's only going to talk about black being black and being a woman, mm -hmm. basically. You're, they're, they're, so you should know. You should be prepared to think that people are always going to um, assume that you're not going to be as talented as white guys, basically, which is ridiculous because there are um, there are way too many talentless hack white guy <laughs> comedians out there. Um, but the, and they and they do very and they do very very well for themselves. So I'm telling black girls right now, if you actually get out there and assume your voice and get out there, like. There is absolutely room for all of us. Um, so I, I, I would say just be prepared to kill it. Like, I, I don't think there's any actual – I haven't had any experience, experiences that were 
you know, I wish somebody would have warned me about this. Like, no, I mean, it, it, it'll be it'll be the best experience that anybody can have is to try is to, to to do this job because I think it's it teaches you so much about yourself and about other people. It's yeah, there's nothing to worry about. I think that's a really great place to close. Be prepared to kill it, ladies. Um, thank you very very much, Kay. Sam, is there anything that um, we're missing that you want to say or that we haven't asked you've been very quiet <laughs> yes so how can how can our fans like follow you how can they support you oh awesome if anybody is in chicago um if anyone's in chicago may 19th through uh june 9th my show token will be uh up there fridays yeah, Fridays from May 19th to May to June 9th at 7:30 p.m. at uh, Judy's Beat Lounge at the Second City Training Center, and then in New York City, September 16th at 9 p.m. it'll be at the United Solo Theater Festival. You can follow me on Twitter at kwinks k a y e winks w i n k s, and on Instagram at kwinks. Friend me on Facebook at kwinks. That's uh. That's where I'm at. Or, and I'm, I'm usually somewhere doing stand-up. Awesome. Well, thank you very, very much. Thanks, guys, again for tuning in this week. You heard her. Please subscribe to K-Winks at all of those channels. We'll have links to them in the show notes. Until next time, bye. <laughs>